You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 44 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Monday, the 27th of March, 2017. My name is Harry Knight, and with me today is Asha King. Hey, everybody. Rue Hill. Hi, guys. And Will Forster. Hello, everybody. Sorry, my hello was a bit loud. Is that? <laughs> I'd be cool. I had a coffee. I was, <laughs> that, I was about to say, it's that high-octane coffee you've been, uh, been drinking. No, I've, I've, I've finished my coffee, and Will and uh, Asha are now pounding back the coffee. But I guess yeah. you guys will catch up when the caffeine hits in probably like five or ten minutes into the show. Yeah, I do like a, a during-the-show coffee. <laughs> you can hear, you can hear the, you'll, you'll the hear rhythm me. of Asher's banter just peaking about two-thirds of the way through the show, and then he goes into like a cold turkey Yeah, I'll be, I'll be an exponential graph at the beginning where I start really slow and keep, keep wor- working up. So other than smashing coffees, how's everyone been? You, everyone's been on, on, on fun little trips. The last time we were talking, Will, you were off to Cuba. I was indeed. How was that? It was amazing. It uh, surpassed any expectations that we had for the trip you, are That's you great. and jesse uh post i would i'd say this is fair you're, you're quite frequent instagram posters uh yes you're, you're like a one to two selfie a day kind of guy oh no <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure that's the we have uh, i thought you evidence. guys because you, you guys had no internet when you were in Cuba. no internet no there was me and marine actually thought you just might be dead yeah that was the only exclamation yeah my mother had went of. through that same sort of trauma how was the caribbean ash Oh my gosh! I had I think I had the best surf trip I've ever had outside of Indo. Tommy, like, Tommy came back with kind of a thousand yard stare. I'm not sure what you did to him and where you took so, him. So but, just uh, for listeners who may not know, Asha, you and Tommy, our other coach, who's also a regular on the podcast now, and your two partners, Taryn and Lauren, mm-hmm. the four of you went down to Bocas del Toro. Yeah, I went to the Caribbean side of Panama, which. I've heard a lot about the waves there, and it, it's been featured a lot in surf movies lately, and, and it has a lot of infrastructure in town for the girlfriends who are there on a non-surfing trip, so we thought we'd give it a go, and we just got swell of the year down there. Like, John John's brother, Nathan Florence, was there, Luke Davis was there, for a, a bunch of pro guys flew in for the swell, and we just got a ton of, a ton of waves. I've surfed with Luke Davis before in Tahiti, and... I was just barely holding on on my gun with my extra thick leash on. And he was surfing a twin fin fish with, I think, no leash on it, as I remember. Yeah. He charges pretty hard. He charges pretty hard. It's funny. He's got the reputation of being kind of kind of a bit of a, a party guy. But, man, he is serious in the water. He can surf. So you're going to go back there? I'm going to go back as soon as I can possibly go there. When there's waves there, it is, it is legitimate. But for any of the listeners that are thinking about heading down there, there is a ton to do in the area outside of surfing. You can take these dollar taxis all over the city. There's really good food. The Panamanian government pegs their currency to the dollar, so it's really, really easy money exchange-wise. Especially if you're coming from the States, you can just use USDs. And Yeah, it, it was just an easy trip, and I, I, I recommend it. And uh, Tommy was giving it a go on your old 6.6, the K-Step-Up. That is a very good board, although it's got the old 90s kind of outline of like really very narrow uh, to how long it is and a lot of rocker. And when, you're, when I'm used to surfing, as most of us are these days, you know, sort of five eights, five tens, six O's, but that are like, you know, you know, 19, 19 and a half. And then you suddenly jump on a six six that's like 18 and a half wide. It feels like you're trying to paddle a, an Arabian slipper. Almost like a, like a slalom water ski. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a <mono-ski. laughs> 
<laughs> so what it looked like. Yeah, so anyway, I, so I thought I'd trade that in. I gave that one to Tommy and I got myself a Slayer. It's actually a big board. It's a 6.7 Slayer and 40 liters. So I get a year ago, all my boards were about 26 liters. And I just had, a, I had five or six different boards that were all 26 liters and just slightly different rockers and outlines. And uh, I now don't have a single short board in my whole collection. And my smallest board is a 5.8 Omni, which is the closest I have to a short board. That's one of Slater's new ones on, on Firewire. And it's, sort of ra- it's not quite like an Evo where it's really boxy, but it's rounded at the tail and in the nose. Uh, and my 5.8, one of them is like 32 liters. So I've just added six liters onto my smallest board. And, that, and then my step-up board, which I just got, the 6.7 Slayer, Rusty Slayer, which I love, is 40 liters. So I've just like all of my boards are just bigger. Then I've got my Bonzer and the Round Nose Fist, which is like thirty-two, and I've got my Bing Levitator, which is nine-six. And I've never had so much fun surfing. Yeah. I, I really don't know why I was surfing twenty-six liter boards for so long. It's funny, isn't it, how it, that trait from late nineties and early into the the noughties, so that the, the idea of you know smaller is better, smaller is better, smaller is better. And well, also there's the fact that when you're out there on like. So let's say I'm out there on a 26-litre shortboard that's really high performance. And I'm riding that board specifically because if I ride a board that's six litres bigger, it's a little bit harder trying to whip the board around really quickly off the lip. It's basically that. That's really the only reason. Every other manoeuvre that anyone short of a world title competitor mm-hmm. is going to do on a wave face is totally doable on a board with six, perhaps even ten extra litres. Mm-hmm. So then you've just got to think, okay, how many times per session... Am I hitting the lip and the size slash length slash volume of the board is the limiting factor in how tight I'm doing that turn? And, like, and, and how many times is that a problem and reducing the fun in my surf versus yeah. how many waves am I missing or I'm catching but I'm getting stuck behind a section or behind the foam? You know, and, and how many turns am I not able to do because I haven't got enough speed going down the line in order to go out far enough onto the shoulder to do that big roundhouse cutback and yeah. bring it back in the pocket? And... When you actually tabulate it, I bet 99 out of every 100 surfers out there could do with getting on a bigger board. I mean, I know it's one of the things that we've talked about it on the show before, but it's one of our biggest hurdles coaching is when people are desperate to surf boards that are really smaller than they should be on and, and just are not getting the wave count and not getting the speed. We have a, a listener question that uh, I'm going to talk about later on. And actually, I talk about that with regards to how you can progress outside of being in surf simply like what are the sort of contributing factors as to how people can learn maneuvers or, or what are the limiting factors perhaps stopping them learning those maneuvers so it's funny you should mention that well we'll get on to that a little later yeah. a little later a <laughs> teaser a yeah. teaser um you've also been up in the mountains Rui. oh yeah i went skiing and snowboarding and i suck at both but oh man it's so much fun you, you actually tried snowboarding this time so my my girlfriend marine grew up skiing in the french alps so I, we went for the first time last year to park city and we went skiing for a week and i skied because she skis and just thought we could ski together and that was pretty fun and then this time i thought i'd try snowboarding and it was funny because we both thought we'd try snowboarding but she, because she can already ski really well she got really angry <laughs> quite quickly <laughs> and even to the point where we where we I, I walked down the second half of the mountain with her in like a, a gesture of solidarity and uh, she was like, no, f- this, I'm going to go around skiing. But, you know, because I suck at skiing, I didn't have the option. So uh, I just carried on snowboarding for the week. 
And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. It was that, that leaning forward rather than leaning back into turns things is kind of mm -hmm. weird, especially when you're going really fast. Yeah. But I had a couple of moments where I just found a bit of the mountain that you know wasn't already carved up by the people and got to do some nice big turns through the powder. And I was like, oh, this is what it's all about. This is awesome. Yeah. I also wiped out a lot. And I tell you what, I found out after four days, I was just physically ruined. That was, <laughs> that was as much as my body could do. Yeah. And actually being up in Breckenridge, the hair's so thin, I didn't even think of that. But Oh, yeah. Like I'd get up in the morning and go to the kitchen to make some tea and then get back to the bedroom and put tea by the bed, get into bed and I was like, oh, whoo, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> Just completely done. I think we're going to have to do a Team Simply snowboard trip next year. Oh, if, any, if any listeners have got good suggestions for where you think the whole of the Surf Simply team should descend and um, enthusiastically tumble down the mountain <laughs> i was about to say yeah with i think jesse and asher are probably you guys are probably pretty good i think the rest of us would be just like toddling along behind you with pillows strapped to us i wouldn't put myself in the category of good i think i can just make it down the mountain most of the time um, which i'm I've happy with i've actually been snowboarding with jesse and i can confidently say she is not in asher's category <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yes i'm so pleased she's not really good i just assumed yeah. she would be the the uh, i don't know if i've mentioned this in the podcast before but um the first uh lift we got in the first it was a button lift because um, it was actually an indoor place in england um and she <laughs> didn't realize that the button lift was had like a spring so you pulled it down put it between your legs and then it kind of you pulled you up and you stayed on your board like one foot in your board and it would pull you up and so she expected this the button lift to be rigid and she did a big jump to sit on the thing <laughs> and just straight on the floor like an arm hanging off as it continued to pull her up the mountain uh, up the hill it was amazing it was so the whole lift had to shut and people had to get off and just was just sort of laid on the floor with all her gear spread out that's brilliant. Um, the other thing I've been doing is I've been, well, we've all been uh, redesigning our tree of knowledge. So any listeners that have stayed at the resort will know that we have this thing that we kind of uh, jokingly call the tree of knowledge. But it's a big infographic of all of the key surf skills in different colored bubbles. So you can sort of see what's in front of you and why you're working on things because you can see what they're going to lead on to. So it, it gives you a kind of a roadmap of surf skills, which otherwise it can seem like a little bit of a black box trying to get from wherever you're at to seeing what pros are doing. But we designed it like, I guess, five or six years ago now. So th there's a lot of little tweaks and changes we wanted to make and a lot of stuff we wanted to add in, particularly to the higher level, higher levels on the tree. So, you know, we, we spent a while rethinking the whole thing. And then I've been working with Gensler, who are an really awesome design firm they did airbnb's offices and well if you google them they've done a, a bunch of really cool stuff they're main, mainly an architecture firm but they've done a lot of design stuff as well so i've been up at their offices and we've been putting together this really cool it's about probably like 15 feet high and about 40 feet long new version of the tree of knowledge done in relief that's going to be sitting out from the wall done in various different materials yeah. and uh, which i'm really excited about and we've also had the idea, and this is one of those things I'm going to talk about on the show, and then we probably won't get around to it for two years, and lots of people all email saying, why haven't you done this yet? But building it into an app, which you can then kind of scroll across left to right, and then yeah. as you press on each skill, you'll then have like a little video pop up that will explain that particular skill to you. And then maybe even a submission button where you can then send in videos of you doing the skill for us to then go over and send back to you. That was the idea. It's a kind of a cool idea. I haven't really thought exactly about the practicalities of the amount of work involved. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if any, if any listeners have got any input on that or suggestions, you know, that's always good to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, into the news for this episode. A couple of 
pieces to do with the WSL that have come up. Samsung have pulled out as being the prime sponsor. Visa seem to have stepped in, perhaps, to not as a, a full headline sponsor, but they are providing some sponsorship. And Paul Speaker has stepped down as CEO. Do you think Samsung pulled out because the surfers can't take their phones on planes? <laughs> that would be events. a bit of a problem. <laughs> it would make it complicated, wouldn't it? I feel like Samsung's had not a great year this year in terms of PR. Yeah, not ideal. I mean, Samsung sponsor a huge number of sort of fairly small little sports here and there. They've obviously been playing around with providing sponsorship for different things, and they, I guess, don't feel they're getting return on the investment from, from Surf. Who would you like to see, ideally, as the sponsor of the WSL, if, you could, if there could be anyone? Which company do you think exemplifies the WSL most? I mean, Red Bull. Yeah, okay, that's true. Red yep. Bull's a massive media company with a lot of experience of broadcasting and promoting extreme sports. I mean, they'd, they'd slot in pretty effortlessly as well and, and, add, and they'd bring, bring something to the table media production-wise, wouldn't they? Yeah, Red Bull Media House definitely has the money behind it and the experience, but Red Bull has framed other similar sports in a way that I don't think would work as well for surfing. For example, they do skateboard competitions and have a circuit where it's invite-only and there's not a clear path of qualifying. And I think that's what makes surfing a bit unique and really interesting in that there's this giant pyramid. And once you get to the world tour, it's like you, you finally made it. And in uh, my experience with Red Bull Productions, they've done more like hand-selecting a group rather than having a qualification path. Yeah, but also this year or last year, I remember there was a few surfers who spoke out about energy drinks and who dropped... Monster, perhaps, and maybe even Monster Red Bull and as, Red Bull Villager, yeah, as their the sponsors. Because what were they of saying the, about them? Because of the health oh, yeah. um, implications of drinking, it's you know something so sugary and caffeiny. Yeah. Um, so it's perhaps a, a you know disparaging message. Back to your original question, I think Airbnb would be a very cool sponsor. Oh yeah, that would Who, uh, be they, cool. They do sponsor they do the sponsor. WSL, but do they're they really? not the title. Ah, okay. Yeah, they're. they're a, I don't. What's a word for a smaller sponsor rather they're like than a, the title yeah I, I can't remember exactly how like it the official sponsor of WSL Supporter, ac accommodations I think yeah right well there we go yeah over there next in line I think WSL is pretty uniquely positioned in that they're, they're basically pioneering a new form of media other sports fit into cable television pretty well WSL does not for reasons we've talked about a hundred times on the show the the different windows the flexibility needed how it they they occur in different time zones I would love a big media company like a Facebook to step in and be the title sponsor because Facebook live seems like a, an excellent platform to for the WSL to yeah actually really that would with. if um, the WS what the WSL needs from a media company is very much what Facebook seems to be trying to provide for people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would seem like quite a good um, marriage. And there's a lot of people at Facebook, as we know, that are really into surfing. Yeah. I actually got uh, an email that ended up in my inbox that was an informal email bouncing around a number of mutual friends in, from San Francisco, I guess, which was the WSL reaching out for a new CEO. And uh, they, it was an informal email going out that had, I can't remember who, who it came from originally, but it was sort of like, hey, the WSL are looking for a new CEO. If you know anyone who might fit the bill, um, then get back to us. And, I, and I, it, it dropped into my inbox and I was like, oh, ah. that's pretty interesting. I started reading down the criteria that, the, that mm -hmm. they're looking for. And they really want someone, you know, who's got a lot of experience managing people and managing logistics and, you know, has previously been the CEO of a large company. 
and they want someone who surfs, but they don't have to be like a really good surfer, but you know, an everyday surfer kind of mm -hmm. thing. And then yeah. obviously he's got a good understanding of media. But um, I don't know, I know a few people that I think would fit into the slot really well. Yeah. So I might try and convince them if they, convince if they could apply. apply for it. Because then uh, we could be buddy buddies with whoever the CEO of the WSL is. <laughs> Still on the WSL, the Big Wave World Tour for this year. Um, they've knocked it right down. It's only three events now. What do you think about that? I don't know. I mean, the, the, the last two years, they've only run three events anyway. So for, in terms of what's going to get broadcast, it's not that different. What? I just wonder at that point whether it's worth calling it a world tour or whether it's better to just say, look, this is a prestige event. Like you've won the event at Jaws, you know, in the same way that, that, you know, if you win Wimbledon on tennis, that's almost more important than the, 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 the tour that might be going on. Like people are far more concerned with that individual event. I think it's a really good idea. Once you get to three and less events, there's not a big, a, a big enough accumulation of points or diverse enough conditions to really call it a world champ. So call it the Porto Escondido champ. Yeah. Call it the Jaws champ. And then perhaps like the Triple Crown, you may have an overall. Yeah. Yeah. You, you could say, you know, there's been an overall best performer this mm. year, but not really worry so much about yeah, that. That's a good idea. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think it's good that they've pulled out the other events that are less broadcastable. You know, because it's not saying that those surfers aren't still going to go and surf it and there's still going to be a lot of yeah. prestige within the community attached to the people that are really charging on the, on the day of days each year. But, you know, I, th I think for the broadcastable events, like Jaws is obviously the premier big wave spot in terms of watching a webcast. Yeah. And, you know, some of those other ones down in Chile where it's like miles off the coast and there's no real good camera angles. It, it just doesn't lend itself very well to an easy webcast. This is where I think Red Bull Media House could thrive, is Big Wave World Tour, because that, that is right up their alley, and they're used to organizing strike missions. So maybe, maybe Red Bull could be a WSL sponsor. Would you like to see them have an event at ours as part of the Big Wave World Tour? Only if it actually got big enough. Because well, I, and that's true for everywhere. But I, I think ours, even though it's not you know a high-faced wave particularly, it's certainly a really like heavy wave, and it makes for great drama. Mm -hmm. It's I, a great webcast venue. I wonder whether it is too different to, you know, even to somewhere like Jaws that does get hollow. Mm. But it's surfing that wave. Uh, for listeners that don't know, ours is a, a slab in Australia near Sydney. And it, it breaks incredibly hard, incredibly heavy, right in front of a bunch of rocks. And Red Bull have run a, a, a couple of events there called Cape Fear. I don't think that the skills necessary to ride that are in line with the skills necessary for the rest of the Big Wave World Tour. I think if you're going to call it a Big Wave World Champion, I love the idea of putting a wave like ours on there. Because mm. it's still Big Wave surfing, and now you're saying, all right, he's the best at surfing a Big Wave height-wise. This guy's the best at surfing a Big Wave that has a lot of width. And then the overall Big Wave World Champion is legitimately the, big, the best Big Wave surfer. I certainly, like, I certainly think that if you were to you know, go down the route that, that we were talking about a second ago and say, okay, there isn't really a tour, but there are some, mm -hmm. there are some prestige events and you can be the champion of that event. Like, I'd love to see hours on it. Yeah. But I think you would, my suspicion is you would see a very different group of people entering that event. I don't think that you would see guys like Grant Baker and Billy Kemper maybe entering those events. I think that's okay because, I mean, look at just the regular world tour. The guy who surfs Chopu the best isn't necessarily going to do the best at J-Bay, but the world champ at the end of the year is the best at surfing all of them combined. Yeah. 
the whole point of the world tour is that you're you've got all of these different conditions and so many heats and so many events that you can tease out someone who is legitimately better because there's just you've seen them surf so many times they've jumped in and out of the water so many times and caught so many waves over mm -hmm. the course of a season um, that's not what big wave surfing is about. I mean, it, it, by definition, big wave surfing is about that one big wave. It's not about, you know, who's got the, the mean average best performance. Yeah. I like throughout the year keeping up with the X, 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 L award. How many X's are in there? Only two. Four X. Four X. <laughs> anyway, because you, you get so many different people. Most of them I haven't, because I don't necessarily follow the tour or anything. I don't know these people, and yet you get a huge variety of wave shape and, and you know, countries and conditions. And, and it's throughout the year. You don't have to wait for an event. They just sort of trickle in, and then at the end, they, they announce a winner. I think that's, that's a, uh, a good format. Which yeah. is, oh, and it's a format the WSL owns, because it's not Billabong anymore. It's the WSL. Oh, is it so? Mm -hmm. Right, there we go. Okay, so rolling into the WSL season, we, we were going to do a little preamble for the World Tour and, and talk about what's coming up and talk about who's <laughs> on form and injuries and, and changes to the season. Uh, and then we all went away on holiday and Snapper has taken place. So instead, we'll, uh, we'll, we're going to do a nice little wrap of the Snapper contest and, and roll in a lot of the other stuff that we were going to talk about as we, uh, as we go through it. Did you guys watch the event? <laughs> Yeah, it was nice. I, it felt like a long time since the tour finished last year. I really enjoyed seeing Snapper looking good. It's what been years good. since we've had a good... Like, not, there's been moments of glory over the last couple of years, but this was... The first day was a bit iffy, but then the whole rest of the contest was just really good waves. What year was it when Parker gave Slater the finger in the barrel? That was at Kira in 2008. Was that that long ago? Oh my goodness! Yeah, long time, almost ten years ago. Oh my! I was gonna, I was genuinely gonna call that as being perhaps two or three years ago. Mm -mm. <laughs> and oh I wow. think Parco had another finger in the barrel of event this year. I was, I think that may have been Slater. Oh yeah, Slater on Medina. We'll Sla get to that. Yeah, later. Slater on Medina interference. Um, so controversial. What, what did you think of the webcast, Ash? Uh, I loved the the whole event. First thing is, when was the last time a WSL event has run in one swell? Four days. It takes four days basically to run the men's, five days to run men's and women's, and yeah, they did the whole thing in one swell event. So that was yeah. that was really cool, and it it went seamless. Going every day, it kind of kept your attention for the event and all the storylines, and I think it went as about as well as a beginning to the season could go. I thought that the WSL seemed to have picked up on. A couple of points that we'd made about the webcast. Oh, tip of the hat. It's probably not anything to do with us, he said modestly. But wherever the ideas came from, I think that the WSL have done a really good job of, of improving the experience incrementally. It was, I it mean, was they do every year. It's great. I'm really impressed. Just to highlight to listeners who maybe didn't catch the event, the big improvements that I noticed in the webcast were, first off, having head judge Richie Porta... Is that right? Richie Porter? Can you say that without an Aussie accent? You said it with like what I heard as a New York accent. Richie, Richie Porter. Richie Porter. Wow. Richie Porter. Yeah, he would come on Sorry, the webcast. <laughs> he would come on the webcast and explain some of the judging decisions, which it was just a clear improvement. You know, he, he's right next to the commentary booth. So to come in there and give a little explanation makes the experience better for everyone. Um, something else I really liked was the addition to do you want to watch today's action live or uh, do you yeah. want to watch it from the beginning which is great that was great we've, we've talked about the show so many times and i think we even talked with dave prodden about it when he was on the show the idea that you can just go on and in rather than just 
you know, seeing the results of the day, there's just a window that pops up and says, would you like to watch the, mm -hmm. the latest day live from the start? I actually, okay, I've got a couple of other suggestions for them. Is, is now a good time? Can yeah, I tell you my suggestions? In. Okay, so amazing job, WSL. You've been brilliant. These, these are hopefully helpful comments rather than criticisms. So you could have when you go and the event is live, the option to watch that day from the start rather than jumping in at the live stream. So really this, the same thing, except rather than only having the option once the day is finished, if you jump in halfway through the day, you can just watch mm -hmm. it from the beginning. Because quite often, I'm, I, you know, I want to do that when I've, when I've finished work, but want to start from the start. So that would be really cool. It would be really great if one of, the, one of the emails that we got this week, I don't know if you guys saw this, but one of the listeners was complaining how sometimes his webcast drops to 720. Mm-hmm. You know, the, oh, the, this is the a big resolution. one. I know what you're going to say here, and it's a good suggestion. And I, Well, so first of all, I read the email, and I was like, Wow, he gets to watch it in 720. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, it's a dream when we get to have it in 720 down here in Costa Rica. I don't think I've ever watched it in 1080, let alone 4K. So, you know, I think he's very lucky and he does that. He has zero sympathy from me. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, what, what's great is obviously that the stream, like YouTube videos, it, it measures your bandwidth and then it adjusts the resolution that you're watching it in so that it's not stopping and starting. It, it just compromises the resolution and the sound quality instead, which is fine. It makes perfect sense. Except that the advertisements in between don't do that, which is super annoying. The advertisements always run at 1080, which means when you're watching them on the kind of speeds that we're watching it down here, it. it just clogs it. So you always end up jumping back into the action late, having missed several minutes of the action. Well, may maybe that's just us. Maybe if you're living in a place that's got faster internet, that doesn't even happen. But oh, I assume that's not just us. I mean, WSL's arguably their biggest market's Brazil. And Brazil isn't known for having the fastest internet in the world. So, uh, yeah, I think that that is a big improvement that needs to be changed pretty quick. Because nothing's worse than when you just get, you're in the middle of the heat and it just gets clogged with a corona ad. Yeah, I know. Okay, my final, final comment is, I was, I was watching, have you guys seen Planet Earth 2? I've watched bits of it. It's awesome. David Attenborough uh, nature documentary is brilliant. And what, so what he does so well that I, I feel other nat nature documentaries don't do so well is, you know, they're obviously they're filming a lot of stuff happening and, and he builds these really great narratives around the animals that you're watching. And, and I'm sure sometimes they're a little contrived, but uh, it really connects you with what's going on. And what I'd like to see is when they're doing the recaps of the day's surfing, I'd really like to see them try and build narratives and build artificially moments of drama into the recap we're watching. Because if we just wanted to see surfing, there's tons of surf clips and videos out there we could watch. The reason why we're watching the recaps of the heats is we want to know what's going on. So for example, let's say there was a heat that came down to the final two minutes. Let's hear the commentator tell the story of the heat. You know, uh, Joel Parkins had got this wave, Kelly got this wave. We come, we join the heat with two minutes to go. Kelly is needing an eight point ride. You know, let's watch the clock, clock count down. Then we jump into the heat. Then you get to enjoy those moments of drama as if you were watching the contest in real time with the narrative that built up to them having been explained to you. I, I think that that would be really, really powerful. So did you happen to tune into the webcast at all when the contest was on hold? They basically do that exact thing. They, they do a narrative of last year's event. And they actually did a pretty good job with it. They, they follow Wilco through it. And I think they've done that a couple events now. I'm sure what the issue is doing a recap of that quality is by the time you've woken up, they're not going to have time to produce the whole thing. How about they do it like this? 
they could they as as the commentators go through the day, they're going to know what the moments of competitive drama were, mm-hmm. right? So they're going to say, oh, the last three minutes of heat five, like that was that was great. We were really excited to know what was going to happen, and all they've got to do is just tag those, and then at the end of the day, they just pull out all of those. Then they all they need is ten seconds of explanation, saying like, what's what's riding on this? Like, how mm-hmm. important is this? What are we what are we watching? What 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 needs to happen, and what, what's the outcome? Then we just go into watching those like last three minutes of that heat live. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I think that would be a really nice addition. Yeah, speaking of storylines, how was the the victory by Owen Wright? First event back in sixteen months. Last of any surfing was October of two thousand fifteen. Because he was injured before Pipeline. Because he was injured before Pipeline. Last one was in Paniche. Yeah. I mean, great to see Owen Wright beat Matt Wilkinson in the final, which I don't think was the final that anyone would have expected going in, especially not with Gabriel Medina and John John both making it through to the semis. But yeah, I mean, what a, what a comeback story. What a, what a great thing to hear. And actually, on that subject, those of you in Australia may already have seen this, but ABC have produced a documentary about Owen and Tyler Wright and uh, you know what went on last year with Tyler Wright winning the World Tour while Owen was in recovery and, and wrapping up with Owen winning this. And that, that went out live this evening, but I believe it's uh, available to everybody else so, fairly so, soon. So just for listeners who don't know, Owen Wright had a head injury out at Pipeline and was out of competitive surfing, possibly for good, for, for a year. It wasn't publicized, his recovery process, but you know, f- just from listening to his friends and family talk about it, it was it was a really pretty traumatic time for him, mm-hmm. and for him to come back in his first contest back on tour to win is just amazing. I mean, watching the emotion w- uh, just kind of coming off the screen as as during the ceremony and the speeches and all that kind of had me checked. It was beautiful. Yeah, that's the kind of storylines the WSL needs because yeah. that that, uh, that was such a beautiful story. And then had Tyler right there and his brother Mikey cheering him up. His best friend Wilco in the finals. That was that, that actually that yeah that was the moment. It was when his yeah. sister and his brother carried him up the beach after he won the contest, and I just felt my eyes start to get a little watery watching it. And uh, that, that was just one of the most beautiful sporting moments I've ever seen. Yeah, one year after he chaired his sister up for her victory at Snapper Rocks last year, and by all accounts, last year at Snapper Rocks he was not looking good. He was really really skinny. He was pale. It, it looked like he almost. He, uh, he was clearly just still recovering from a traumatic brain injury. So to see the exact opposite and that victory a year later was, yeah, it brought tears to my eyes. Yeah, that's super cool. And I don't think he was gifted that victory either. He, he earned it. He just won the contest. Yeah. And it was good. Matt Wilkinson is, is apparently one of his very good friends who was, who was sort of by his side the whole way through that recovery process. Mm-hmm. So amazing that Matt Wilkinson was next to him. Speaking of which, Matt Wilkinson's had a haircut, which I guess means that he means business this year. That's what it means. <laughs> Is that how it works? It was interesting to see how well the goofy footers were doing. Snapper is normally regular foot, strong showing. Quick, off the top of the head, goofy foot winners at Snapper of the past. Mick Lowe. Nice. Is the first one I can remember. Gabriel Mandina. And one other, I think. Matt Wilkinson. Matt Wilkinson. Did Oki not win it? No, he didn't, did he? Yeah, so, yeah, you're right, yeah. However, last three of the, th- or three of the last four years have been won by goofy footers. Yeah. And in this event, three of the quarterfinalists and five of the quarterfinalists were goofy footers. And there's only nine goofy footers on the whole tour this year. So I have a question for you. Do you think that goofy footers have improved backside surfing, specifically at venues like J-Bay and, and Snapper Rocks? Or do you think the judging criteria has accommodated 
more for backhand surfers? I think the former, personally. There's a, a lot more variation that you see these days in the way that backhand surfers are turning off the top of the wave. Mm -hmm. And there was a bit of a gap for a while in surfers that had that exquisite timing that Oki had. Mm -hmm. You know, So, I mean, it used to be that in right-hand waves, backhand surfers would win not by a big variety of, of repertoire, but by having just the exquisite flow from top to bottom of the wave all the way down the line, because they only really had that one turn off the top. Mm -hmm. So it was just all about timing and if that flow was really fast and really powerful. And there was Oki. And then, I mean, there's been a lot of backhand surfers, but not many that have really stood out like that. But I would say Medina, Matt Wilkinson and Owen Wright are all phenomenal to watch on their backhand in the way that Oki also is. Yeah, in Matt Wilkinson's, I think it was semi-final against John John. Mm -hmm. He manufactured a score on his backhand better than I've ever seen anyone do it. He needed an eight, I think, and he took off on this kind of average right-hander. And he did three of the most beautiful backhand maneuvers I've ever seen, and they were all distinctly different. The first one was a big full rotation off the lip, so he approached the lip and threw his fins and spun a really fast 360. And I don't think I've ever seen anyone do one like that. It was just beautiful. You got guys like Italo Ferreira who can do a giant over the lip, but this was just squarely on the face, and I've, I've never really seen that. And then to just link the two maneuvers after it, I, th I thought it was gorgeous. Speaking of which, I hope Italo Ferreira gets better soon because he's injured, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, he's so amazing. It'd be great to have him back on tour. I hope he's not out for the year. Yeah, he's. I, 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 did anyone see what he actually did? I, I know he's injured his leg, but I didn't see whether, whether it was a knee or an ankle. Uh, I don't know. He did a big air and landed funny, I think. Yeah. That's the only reason I don't do airs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we all said the, the women's contest going on, the Roxy Pro at Snapper, which uh, Steph Gilmore beat Courtney Conalogue in the final. She's um, really speeded up her surfing, Steph Gilmore, you know, because she's, she's always been my favorite female surfer to watch, just in terms of fluidity and style. But kind of like, do you remember a few years ago when Joel Parkinson was going for the title and he really, because he was, he again has always had that fluid flow and that style and he sort of like stepped up the aggression and speed levels and it looked like Steph Gilmore's really done that. I, I don't know if that was just, you know, an emergent property of the couple of heats I was watching. but uh, I think she's pretty much, she's the queen of that wave. Yeah. She, she was just approaching it in a different way than the, the rest of the girls. She was doing these mid-face kind of soul arches setting up for the barrel and just kind of playing with it. There was, uh, there was one wave when I tuned in and, and watched, and I mean, she surfed way off out of the contest peak to where she was having to dodge around yeah. people that, you know, she, she'd surfed out of that bay, round into Rainbow Bay and was heading off down towards Kira. And I think you could almost see it. There was a point where she went, oh, shit, I'm in a contest and, and, <laughs> and kind of kicked out when she could have carried on going. But she was definitely just enjoying herself so much. Mm -hmm. It was so cool to see. <laughs> this, this was one of the first events in a while where I really enjoyed watching the women in, in a way that I sort of shamefully confess I haven't perhaps that much compared to the men in past contests. Yeah, the you ladies I mean? are ripping. I didn't really realize until this contest how in the past I've sort of like tuned out a little bit when the girls have come on precisely because this time I didn't and it was so exciting watching them. Yeah, uh, Lakey Peterson put up high excellent range scores in six of seven heats. Like we're talking like mid nines plus. That's amazing. That's a pretty strong recovery. Yeah, it's a it? strong resume. Strong recovery. It, she was off all last year, wasn't she? She was. She injured herself in the El Nino last year, surfing Sandspit. Big backwash, and I, I want to say she buckled her back knee. Strong start to, uh, to the 2017 season. What did you guys think about the goofy versus regular foot judging? So case in point, the 
round four that had Clohe Andino and Matt Wilkinson. Mm-hmm. To me, it looked like Clohe won the heat by a mile. Like he, he, on his forehand, had massive variety of maneuvers. He was doing these errors in the critical part of the wave that Wilco wasn't doing. And yeah, Wilco was consistently getting a point or two higher than him on every wave. And I personally didn't see it. And then Clohe got an interference against Wilco. And I just saw no way that he interfered with his wave. Clohe kind of dropped in and then did a bottom turn away as soon as he saw that Wilco was going. And then Wilco basically fell on the takeoff. And then boom, interference. You only get one of your scoring rods. You're basically out. There were, there were definitely a few odd calls with the yeah. judging. And I, I, it is tricky because there is, there is, at the end of the day, there is a level of subjectivity. You know, it's so hard to compare backhand surfing to forehand surfing because they are totally mechanically different. Mm-hmm. There are things that are easy, easier on your forehand and easier on your backhand. And trying to compare one surfer to another, even on a near enough identical wave, is one surfing forehand, the other surfing backhand, and try to tease apart who's going to win it. And I think... I think maybe the danger with Snapper, and maybe this is why uh, you know the Goofy Footers did so well, because it is such a, a fast wave generally, or fast in sections. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the Goofy Footers are maybe given an extra half a point here and there, maybe just because if you go out and surf a wave like that on your backhand, it is hard to stay with the wave and keep performing maneuvers over and over again in a way that it's not quite so difficult on your forehand, mm-hmm. but. I mean, you would think by the time surfers are at that level, forehand or backhand would have leveled out. Yeah, and I thought that an, another bonus to the WSL production team that I m- forgot to mention earlier, um, they did a really good job picking apart the differences between forehand and backhand surfing. I think for a lot of viewers, that's probably a difficult point to, to realize, but Peter Mel in particular was bringing up a lot of interesting points of technique. He was talking about how it's so much easier to get variety of maneuvers on your forehand and kind of highlighted Slater, John John, uh, even Parko and Fanning and how they're taking advantage of that. And then talked about how much more leverage you get through your toes on sort of a backhand top turn and highlighted how Mendina did that or, or how Italo Ferrer was performing those maneuvers, which I think raises the bar in commentary substantially. One thing that we talk about when we're coaching people through a lot of maneuvers is how to stay focused on what the board is doing on the wave rather than what the surfer is doing on the board, you know? Mm-hmm. So from a judging point of view, do you think that if you had, you know, again, as a thought experiment, if you had an algorithm where the judges were watching video footage of the wave where the algorithm had removed the surfer so that all, of the, all the judges could see was the board and what it was doing on the wave and obviously the spray coming off the board... Do you, and they didn't even know whether the person riding the board was goofy or regular. Do you think that would improve or detract from the judge's ability to judge objectively? I think that would be lovely in theory, but I do think that the reality of it is that you would end up with a strong bias at certain events towards a forehand or a backhand surfer because there, there would just be advantages. And I, I think at the moment, whether it's conscious or subconscious, people do allow for the differences in forehand and backhand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that I actually did that a bit on the heat recap because I was having a really tough time figuring out why w- some people were winning certain heats. So I would take my little piece of paper and cover up the surfers. And it is really, really interesting. It's, it's really interesting to see the angles that the surfboard takes. Um, goofy footers surfing backside at a point break like that stay much more in the pocket and the regular footers were 
staying a little bit more out towards the shoulder, but there were that variety of maneuvers, which both have a place in the criteria. Combination of major maneuvers would favor those critical backhand snaps. Um, innovation and progressive, maybe progression, I think that would favor forehand surfers a little bit more. Well, I would have said that in the past, but watching the way that Medina and Owen Wright and, uh, have been innovating on their backhand, mm -hmm. this event. Yeah. I think that it'd be really interesting for Richie Porta to come out, Richie Porta, <laughs> to come out and say kind of how they're weighting each piece of the criteria because there's, there's five big points and just say, you know, today, variety of maneuvers is a part of the criteria that we're putting slightly more weight in. So I know that we have quite a few listeners who work in the visual arts and in TV and film. And if anyone out there has got the time and inclination to put together a couple of waves from the last contest where you've removed the surfer so that we can play the game of just watching the board on the wave and then trying to work out from that whether we think the surfer was surfing on their backhand or forehand. <laughs> would that would be just so awesome. Do you remember that movie from last year? I think it was Polar put yeah, it out. The guys surfing, yeah, and they they, removed but they removed the, the board. I imagine it's easier to remove a flat color surfboard than it is to remove a sort of multicolored human being. But so maybe wait till J Bay when they're in a black wetsuit. There we go. Send someone out in a green wetsuit. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> Going back to your point, Ash, I think that the, one of the things they did a really good job of with the commentary just in general was talking through the technicalities of surfing, just generally explaining the technicalities of what was going on in the water mm -hmm. was at a much, much higher level than it has been any other year. So all that means the first round of our Fantasy Surfer is then complete. Uh, Watergate won the men's event, and there was a three-way tie for first place on the women's tour with Uncle Bill, Ryan's Picks, and Joel's Not My Name. Interesting team name. Is like, that like Dane Reynolds on Twitter is not Dane Reynolds? Possibly. I'm not sure. He's so crazy. Um, just one tweet. We had a, f a few people asking. The WSL on the Fantasy Surfer has now made it all account. All uh, clubs are private. So uh, there is a password for us. But I've, I've put the password in the name of the club just to avoid any confusion. Uh, those of you that didn't manage to join in uh, before the start of the Snapper event, you can still play through the rest of the season. The way that the format works follows the surfers where they are allowed to throw away uh, their worst event of the year so those of you that didn't quite manage to get a team set for snapper you can still join in for the margaret river event which is starting tomorrow as we record this the the, the margaret river for the men's and the women's will, will start tomorrow so hopefully we can get the podcast edited in time for you guys to get your fancy surf teams up what is the forecast looking like for margaret river the forecast is pretty much as good as it gets i'm really hoping they're going to be able to surf the box wednesday the 29th Three to four times overhead plus offshore AM winds. Oh, nice. Perfect swell direction for North Point and the box. And they have scaffolding already set up at North Point. North, North Point, Point is like J-Bay on steroids. It's like J-Bay, but super tubes for the whole thing. Yeah. Or the box. I'm okay with the box. Yeah, the box would be good as well. Yeah, it makes it very hard to pick a fantasy team, though. You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast. Right. Uh, listener emails. Just to finish the show off. Uh, Will, do you want to start... Uh, yes. So this is from Jesse Smith. I really enjoy the podcast. Always include that bit. Thank you, Jesse. I look forward to everyone. Here's my question. Is there a good resource for starting to progress through surfing maneuvers? 
while I wait to build funds to come to Surf Simply, I want to start practicing basic maneuvers in an efficient manner. How do I know when to move on to the next maneuver? I've been surfing for quite a few years, but I've never had any professional instruction, and I feel like I've never gotten any better. I don't know where to go back to and start practicing. If I was realistic in my abilities, I would say that I'm a level two surfer according to your standards. Um, so I, my advice really to Jesse is, um, and this, this may not be a surprise to you guys, it might be a surprise to you guys, but um, I think with regards to starting maneuvers, firstly you need to know when and why we perform these maneuvers. Um, in the first place, only then do you need to learn how. I think YouTube is always a good source for watching the same maneuver and over and over again. Hurley released a web series with various coaches and elite level surfers breaking down certain maneuvers. And this is great, assuming you are an elite level surfer trying to do these maneuvers. Um, so Jesse uh, has said he's uh, around a level two on the sort of Surf Simply tree of knowledge. Um, and that's someone who is out the back attempting to sort of catch their own waves and thinking towards level three, which is where we perhaps trim down the line and start to, to place maneuvers like cutbacks and, and turns on the actual wave face. Now, uh, in my opinion, you know, uh, getting from level two to level three, uh, analysis and reflection is, is incredibly important. You know, position, placement, uh, choice of maneuver, angle, that sort of thing. They're all the, the contributing factors. And the, the trouble is that there are a lot of very subtle physical and mechanical movements happening um, when performing these, these types of uh, things that can be overlooked or missed by the untrained eye. And so without that trained eye in sort of inverted commas, it's very difficult to know when and how we're, we might be making mistakes. So one thing that's problematic whenever you're trying to look online to get information is that you don't know what it is that you should be working on, which is precisely the question Jesse asks. And I think he's, he's very perceptively hit the nail on the head. You know, when guests come here and we have them go out, we, we have a specific set of drills which we ask them to do, some of which they'll find easy and some of which they'll find almost impossible because that immediately says, okay, this is the limiting factor in their surfing. So, you know, we have a bunch of tutorials up online that, that we put up a few years ago now. And like Will says, you know, Hurley have done some good ones. There's lots out there. But knowing exactly what you should work on can only really be established by someone watching your surfing and being able to say, this is the priority limiting, limiting factor. This is the next one. This is the next one. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't personally know of a way that that can be done other than having a coach specifically watch you surfing and know that when they're watching you, you are specifically trying to do these few things. Because you can watch someone fail, but if you don't know what they're really specifically trying to do on the wave, you don't know what it is that they're failing at and what they think it is that they should be doing. And those two pieces of information are really key as a coach if you know what it is you should tell someone to work on. Yeah, I think without access to a to a coach, you know, exactly as you say, you know, when you go in, let's say you're trying to work on a, a cutback or a, you know, just a simple carving turn, there are ten or fifteen points that that an instructional video or a book would talk about, and knowing which one of those fifteen points it is that you're doing wrong that's making you fall off, is is very hard to do. So you don't you don't have time to think about all of fifteen points when you're out surfing because you can't think about fifteen things. You can only really think about one per session, let alone per, per maneuver. Absolutely. What I would say is worth doing is a lot of times when we go for a maneuver and we fall, you come up, you grab your board, you paddle back out again. And what I always try to encourage people to do is just, just pause for a second and try and think about not even necessarily why you fell, but how you fell. What happened as you went in to try to do that maneuver, 
what happened? What, did you fall off to the side of the board, to the front of the board, to the back of the board? Did your back foot slip, your front foot slip? Did the rail catch? What went wrong? Because then you can, to a certain extent, if you start to see that the same thing's happening again and again and again, you could then try to work out, well, okay, what might cause that to happen? And, and that's, that's your best chance at being able to then self-coach self yourself through those situations. So one thing that I love on... Every Saturday evening, Harry and I sit down with the newly arrived guests who are staying with us for that week, and we talk with everyone about where they're at and what they're hoping to achieve during the week, and also broadly during their surfing life going forwards. And mostly we have about 30-40% of our guests are coming back, uh, having stayed with us before. And what I always love about listening to the guests that have stayed with us before talking is that they have the vocabulary to describe what's going wrong very, very specifically. So people who haven't stayed with us before will tend to use words like pearled or wiped out. You know, and the people that have stayed with us before will say, oh, I tend to not have my back foot quite far enough back during my cutbacks, and so I catch the rail and I tend to fall on my butt, you know. And it's like, they very specifically know what's going wrong. And, and I think, you know, that, like you say, Harry, really is the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Knowing exactly how you wiped out, what was the one thing that caused, caused that to happen? And then on the next wave, not making that same mistake. Even if you make a completely different mistake, acknowledging that you won that battle of that one mistake and that you are moving forward, even if to the untrained eye, you just wiped out again. So, Jesse, you said you lived in Virginia Beach um, and it's a fairly inconsistent um, beach break. And, you know, sometimes we don't always have access to a coach in our in our local area, whether it's financial or just or, or just geographical. Um, but I thought I would run through a few points that could help someone who surf every so often or, or, or to try and progress, you know, a little bit quicker than perhaps you are doing now. Um, Harry, you've talked quite a bit about how going onto a longboard after a knee injury helped your progression, your, your you know, developing more technical turns. Um, and it's something that we always uh, encourage our guests to do whilst they're staying with us, to ride a bigger board. Um, you know, not only do longboards sort of increase our wave count just because it's easier to catch waves in the first place, but typically the length of time on a wave as well, especially if, you know, the, the surfer isn't necessarily efficient at generating speed or making it round sections. Longboards, because of that long rail length, they, they naturally have more speed. And so we can sort of use that to our advantage. And a larger board, you know, equals a more technical maneuver in the first place because it's it's more difficult. There's more weight. It's a it's a longer arc that we're having to complete, and so it's it's really only going to be beneficial to, to to on the occasion, you know, use a longer board. And, and you know, you can't just lean on the side of the board and have it trim in the direction you want to go. You really have to get your weight right back and carve it around the fins. Yeah. So, like I said earlier, learn why and when. First, it's really important to understand why we're doing a particular maneuver, um, you know, whether it's to generate speed or to bring us back to, to sort of the power source of the wave. It's very easy to, to place the wrong maneuver on a wave. I still do it now when, you know, if I'm, if I'm not making the right decision. And so it's important to become sort of efficient at that, that decision making process. Uh, just as much will come from reviewing, reviewing the fundamentals as uh, thinking about the future and future manoeuvres. You know, we're never too good to go back and, and consider our stance or position on the board or, or wave selection. Um, they're, they're things that we might slip on when, when, when out there and, or under that sort of sensory overload process that we're going through. You know, make sure your stance is right, that your, your weight is forward or back during those particular manoeuvres. It's, it's easy to sort of get that wrong. 
I would say one of the most important and perhaps annoying ones is drag a loved one to the beach and get them to film you. Um, Non-surfing partners love that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Especially during February in Skegness, you know. Well, or, you know, team up with a couple of buddies that surf. You know, that, that, that's what we tend to do. We'll take three or four of us down. We'll all take a 20-minute slot. So you still get an hour and a half in the water, but you do your 20 minutes behind the camera and then everybody gets some footage. Good yeah. system. Very good system, yeah. It's amazing how... I mean, it's very cringe-worthy watching yourself surf. I hate it now, even, even knowing how beneficial it is to, to guests and to my own surfing. I loathe the, uh, the process. And when Harry has kindly done some video coaching, we have to sit there alone in a dark room with the door locked just in case <laughs> anybody were to, to, were to come in. I think, yeah, the way that all of us as surfers like to tell ourselves a story in our own head about how good we actually are and the cold, hard reality of video footage always stings a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. Um, another point I would say that sometimes we forget, uh, repetition, repetition, repetition. You know, we're not going to learn something uh, over one surf, you know, that you need a long-term plan and, and uh, to manage sort of realistic targets and expectations and, and don't sort of get ahead of yourselves. You know, small incremental improvements are something you need to reward yourselves for. You know, don't sort of get, get uh, stuck in a bit of a rut if, if, you know, trimming down the line or angling the takeoff takes a little bit more time than you would hope. You're always going to get better from every surf. You know, it's sort of peaks and troughs as we talk to our guests, guests about. And that can be wave to wave or surf to surf or year to year. Um, but recognizing uh, those peaks is just as important as, um, you know, not getting brought down by the troughs. I think another thing to consider, you know, surf to the conditions. If it's low tide, it's moving fast, then sure, let's drill angle takeoffs because it's more critical. If it's high tide or onshore, let's consider other drills to do. Yeah, you so know. one of the things I always love hearing people talk about is how before they came to stay at Surf Simply, they would, uh, we have a ton of guests who come from New York and surf right now, and it's onshore quite often. And they'll talk about how they'll go to the beach, it's onshore, and they used to just go, I'm not going to go surfing. And then now, after doing target drills where they're doing hits off the white water and re entering the wave after hitting a broken section of wave, now when they go out surfing and it's onshore, they're like, oh, that's great, I can take off, like pump for two meters, then I can hit this section and come down, and that's like, a, that's awesome. I've just yeah. done, had a really fun and productive. Uh, wave. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it sort of goes to my final point really is that, you know, you really will learn something from every single surf. If, if the progression, you don't feel it's coming, then it, it, it will, assuming you're, you know, you're doing sort of the right things and, and getting the right advice. So I think like Harry and Rue mentioned earlier, having the right eyes and the right advice on you from perhaps a coach, even just, just one session to highlight areas you should be concentrating on, then it's, it's going to really help um, that, that sort of trajectory for you i would add one last thing as well which is to be very aware that when we surf we pretty much set our benchmarks by our best ever <laughs> you know that the the best ever cutback i've done i judge every other cutback i do by that the sessions i've gone out and course the most waves i judge my wave catching ability against that and i, I think as surfers we are stupendously unaware of what our average surf looks like I like to judge my cutbacks against your worst cutbacks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would leave you ripping, yeah. I, I think it's a, a very hard thing to, to really get a handle on, but I, I think it, it, it's so easy to be very hard on yourself if you're constantly going out into the water and judging yourself against your best ever performances. It's one of the interesting things, actually, working with the, having the trace device on the front of the board. It records your personal bests, and I now 
Uh, it's been months since I beat my personal best on any of those statistics. Wave count, tightest turns, speeds, anything like that. It's just I am not going to keep bettering my personal best over and over and over again. It, life isn't like that. Mm. And it's one of the things I've suggested to them is that they should be starting to highlight when you have an above-par performance. Right, that's almost all for this episode. We just have our regular What to Watch feature. Asher, what have you got for us? I saw a really good longboard edit from just up the coast here in Costa Rica uh, of a friend of mine from growing up named Tommy Witt, who is an unbelievable longboarder, one of the most creative, I think, out there. And it's called A Moment Longer. Mm -hmm. and it's just shot beautifully, good music, not too much lifestyle scene. I, I recommend it, really recommend it to anybody. Very cool. Rui? Connor Coffin, year one. I really enjoyed it. It's, I mean, what I liked about it is just that I love watching Connor Coffin surf more than pretty much anyone else, just because his rail game is so amazing. I, and I apologize, we had a really interesting listener email about cutdowns and that we totally haven't had time to. We had about five or six listener emails this show that we've just waffled on and we haven't had a chance to get to them. So sorry to all of the listeners who've emailed in. We have read all of your emails and thank you so much for them. We will try to get there in the future. Uh, well, uh, mine is the Torren Martin Surf Stitch edit. Um, and they uh, sent him out to Fiji with Tyler Warren. And they're basically styling their way on sort of mid-length boards, uh, single fins on huge surf. And it's just, it's the, the cruisiest, flowiest, most beautiful surfing you'll, you'll ever watch. It's amazing. And in, in you know, big surf, this isn't, this isn't just sort of, you know, happy longboard stuff. It's critical waves. It's uh, cloud break, isn't it? It, it? I think that the left is cloud break in it, yeah. And yeah. it is just incredible. So it's called Sea Legs and it's on Vimeo. Very cool. My little edit for you, uh, Geordie Smith has uh, put out his first movie edit in quite a few years. I think the, the, the last one was 2013 or something. So it's been a while. It's a very well put together piece. It's got some really, really beautiful cinematography in it. There's some very, very nice drone clips. Uh, lots of surfing around South Africa. And some very interesting music choices. Yeah. Our, yeah. our, our it's friend Oliver Davis would be a big fan of Oliver Davis. The music yeah, there's some used. Guns N' Roses in there. There's some Metallica in there. There's some, uh, some strong rock and roll music in there. Okay, ladies and gents, that is all that we have time for now. If you would like to get in touch with any comments or any more questions that we will do our utmost to uh, squeeze in in the future episodes, please do get in touch with me through podcast at surfsimply.com or you can catch the other guys through social media, Asher. King underscore Asher. That is me. Uh, I am on Instagram as Simply Rue Hill and I'm on Twitter as Surfing Simply. And I am on Instagram as Will and the Water. There we go. I hope you've enjoyed the show, ladies and gentlemen. We will be back in a couple of weeks with a little roundup of the Margaret River contest and some more listener emails and hopefully a few interviews that uh, I've recorded over the last couple of weeks as well. So we've got lots and lots of stuff for you. For now, though, from all of us here, goodbye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply coaching resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.